0: So when I was uh, back in college years ago, uh, there was this guy on my floor. It was Christian college, but there was this guy on my floor. He said, man, I haven't been to church since I was, like, at youth camp six years ago. And I'm like, really? He's like, yeah. And I'm like, well, you got to come to my church. I loved my church. You know, you got to come to my church. It's fun. It's small. The people are weird. But actually, it's kind of like our church today, isn't it? You know? <laughs> but, but it's, I mean, I think, you know, you'll, you'll really enjoy it. And so— he's like ah i don't yeah i haven't been in so long you know it's not really my thing i'm like come on you know it's it's not your thing until you make it your thing you know so i, I convinced him, and i bring him. and it's one of those days where it's like you know the uh you know the the tech goes wrong the worship team had to restart a song cuz they're all in the wrong key and it was you know it was a guest pastor you know it wasn't even the, the pastor is usually there you know and it was it was just kind of i remember thinking to myself this of all the Sundays, God, why did it have to be this Sunday that my dorm mate decided to come with me to church? You know, and I'm just thinking, this is just awful, you know. And, and thankfully, the espresso bar was working. And I thought, man, after the service is over, I'm going to make him a nice cup of coffee and redeem this day, you know. And, and uh, so, you know, they say amen. We're, we're kind of walking out of church. I'm like, hey, you want to get a coffee? He's like, no, nah, no, nah, I don't really like that coffee anyway. I'm like, okay, fine, you know. And, and uh, we're going back to the car. And he just kind of stopped. I had a a white pickup truck. And he just kind of stopped at the bed. And he put his hands down. And he goes, dude. He was that kind of guy. Dude. That was better than I remember. Church. You know, I'm thinking this was like the worst Sunday to invite him. But I don't know what God did. But God did something. And he was like, dude. That was better than I remember. Man, I want to, I want to, I want to keep coming. I want to, is it okay if we got, sure, yeah, let's, let's keep coming, you know. But if you really think about it, isn't God always sort of better than we remember? You know, God touches our lives, and then uh, maybe some time goes by, and then we get retouched again, and it's like, oh, man, I remember that. Man, that's better than I remember, you know. I get that a lot when I do a lot of things that I know are good for me that I just forget to do. You know, you go, you go work out, and you, you kind of come out out from that workout. You're just feeling that, you know, that, that feeling strong from the workout. Man, that's better than I remember, you know. Uh, you, 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 you haven't gone for prayer in a while. You go up and you get some prayer over something and you kind of walk. Man, that's better than I remember. We often forget how good God is because we live in this world that has a thousand reasons every day to forget about God. Well, there's bills to pay, there's food to cook, there's people to call, there's da da da. There's all these doodads we have. We're so busy and life is so noisy, it's very easy to forget about God. And then when we do think about God, we kind of wonder, well, what does God think about us? What does God really think about us? In fact, we often may say, Well, oh, I doubt God really thinks about little old me. Some of us may say, you know what, I I don't think God thinks about me because I'm kind of really a big disappointment. Or, you know, I should should be a lot better by now. Oh, God, I think God's just, you know, he's just sick of putting up with me, okay? See, that's not God. That might be your wife. That might be your husband. (laughs) But that's not God. God is not sick of putting up with all of your stuff. And then I run into the people who are the I shoulds people. You know, they live with this kind of guilt stick always protruding from their heart. You know, I, I, I should do this, but I don't really feel like it. I, I should say that, but I, I'm kind of scared. I, I should go hope down at Church Without Walls, but it's cold and it's dark. I should forgive him. Secretly, I kind of like the anger. It makes me feel strong. I think sometimes we run from God Rather than to him. Because we know our own hearts all too well. But we barely know his at all. The more you get to know the heart of God. That is what changes you. The truth is. If I were to sum this message up in one phrase. It would be this. God loves you. Amen right. Here's the problem with that phrase. We've seen it on T-shirts, <laughs> we've seen it on needlepoint, <laughs> we've seen it on posters, we've seen it on bumper stickers. We hear it from celebrities. You know, we throw out that phrase "God loves you so much" that it begins to just lose some of its awe and power. I remember, you know, sometimes in the in the youth group, you know, they start this the they start getting serious relationships, and you know, before they leave youth group, you know, there's always the holding of the hands and the hug. I love you. I love you. I think they're 16, 17 years old. I love you. I love you. It's cute. <laughs> but, and I'm sure I did it, you know, when I was their age to the one girlfriend I had for one day and I paid her. But, <laughs> 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 thank God Tanya said yes. <laughs> um, because Because I don't think I really, no, I don't I want to say I don't think. I know, I did not know what love was when I got married. Love is something you learn what it is over the course of years. Through trials and storms. So when we say God loves us, it's something that you understand more and more over the course of years. Through the trials and storms. Much like a marriage. And this is where Psalm... 103 really helps us. Christian counselors, Joy, will tell you that a person cannot truly love until they have two, until they develop two personality traits within them. That's not love. But can you guess what those two personality traits are? I know Joy knows them, so I'm not going to hear her answer, but. What do you think the first one is? Forgiveness is good, but it's actually not that one. Trust is good. It's actually not that one. Honesty is good. It's actually not that one. Think like a Christian counselor would think. Think with your feelings. Empathy is one, right? I don't know how to spell it. (laughs) What is the second one? It begins with a C. Compassion. Oh. Arnita, you were supposed to wait. (laughs) No, go back now. Go back, go back. Did I do something wrong? (laughs) Empathy and compassion. When you often find people struggling in marriages or even just struggling in relationships in this aspect of love, usually one of these two things is broken inside them, okay? Here's the beauty of God. God is perfect emotionally, spiritually, and mentally, in every sense of the way. He has perfect empathy for you and perfect compassion for you. And He wants to lead us into the same. And this is where we find Psalm 103 helping us to do that. So if you'll turn with me to Psalm 103. Uh, We went through verses 1 through 5 last week. Now we're going to start with verse 6. And I'm going to do this a little different. I know a lot of times I'll read the passage and then kind of talk about it. We're going to go verse by verse because each one of these verses could actually be a sermon in and of itself. So we're going to uh, start with verses 6 and 7. And uh, my first point is this. If you have a discussion sheet, you can go ahead and flip that over and we'll begin filling that in. Uh, As we go through the verses, they will correspond to our application points. Uh, The first one is this. Number one, remember who God sides with. Remember who God sides with. Uh, Verse 6 and 7 says this, The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The oppressed are simply the needy. The oppressed are the needy. In the Old Testament, it was specifically or especially referred to widows and orphans, uh, people of low income, and especially the enslaved. Spiritually or physically enslaved. When we are tempted to put somebody in their place because we are strong and they are weak, God's, God's trying to say to you, you might want to think about that. You might want to be careful. You might end up fighting me. You catching it? Ever, all of us, I think, sometimes we have moments where you're like, you know what? I'm bigger. I'm stronger. I'm smarter. I'm going to squash that person like a bug. And God's saying, be careful. Be careful. That's not why I made you strong. That's not why I made you smart. That's not why I blessed you financially. Be careful. Because God totally loves you and God can totally side against you at the same time. God can totally be completely empathetic and compassionate and be against you and remove that, not remove the blessing, but remove His blessing on that course of action. Because God sides with the humble and not the proud. God sides with those who, who join him in his alleviation of oppression over the needy and the weak and the enslaved. So be careful never to put yourself in a position where God moves to balance the scales of justice against you. God can move against you and love you completely at the same time. This isn't the most perfect example, but for quite a few years, I fed a homeless person outside of the McDonald's. I know that says I probably had too much McDonald's. Let's leave that aside, okay? Let's not focus on how many times Pastor Tom went to McDonald's, all right? It's cheap and it's quick. But there was, and I think many of you who, who if you were to, like, tell the truth and shame the devil, you went to the same McDonald's, right? The one over here on Coffee and Eggman. And over there on the back end or the street end, Hageman end of 99, 99, was the 99 cent store was kind of a homeless group, a camp. Yeah, I'm not sure. Hangout, yeah. And, and, and so I would always, you know, if I was buying something, I'd always, yeah, can you get me, you know, a couple more cheeseburgers or whatever. And, you know, and of course, as I turned left, I'd have to hand them to one of my kids, roll down the window, and they would hand the food to the people. If there were no cars behind me, I'd try to have a little bit of conversation. If there was a car behind me. I said, I'm sorry, i got to go. And one time, I remember, you know, my son was like, Dad, why do you always do that? Why are you always, you know, buying them Does that just kind of to be nice or whatever that? I said, you know, maybe, maybe it's some of that. But I told my boys, I said, you know, we're not qualified to be anybody's judge. And every time I pull through, I see people who look kind of hungry, so I feed them. If they didn't look hungry, I wouldn't feed them. If they look like they needed something else, I'd give them something else. I said, son, it's so, it's so important to identify with alleviating and reaching the oppressed peoples that God is a part of. We become a part of his kingdom when we become his hands his feet and his arms and sometimes his cheeseburgers. Amen? (laughs) So the question on the table for you is, am I the needy? Am I the needy? I'll tell you, I spent most of my 20s trying to prove to everybody in the world, I am not needy. I am not one of those needy people. I know needy people. I can't stand needy people. I try to gravitate away from needy people. I spent a whole decade trying to tell the world I am not needy. Are you needy? Yes. You are. Some of you just know it. And those of you who know it, you're ahead some of you who don't know it yet God's going to show you you are we're all the needy we're all if you are on earth you are oppressed the enemy doesn't sleep 24-7 the enemy is oppressing any human being made in the image of God not because he cares to hurt you because he lives to hurt God god turns around and says my heart is toward all who are oppressed which covers everybody on earth and he also doesn't want us to turn around and oppress others amen. amen number two god is more ready to forgive than we are to be forgiven i know it's kind of funny but actually the number one thing that i encounter as a pastor when i'm trying to lead somebody to christ is they don't feel worthy of jesus's forgiveness when they finally come to believe in God, when they finally come, the Holy Spirit's turned the light on. They're like, yes, it's all true. I believe in Jesus. I believe in the cross. I know I need him. I'm not worthy of him. Like, come on. Didn't I explain this right? You know, I mean, you you're not worth, yet none of us are worthy of him. It just goes to show that God is far more ready to forgive often than we are to be forgiven. When we forget to pray, he still feeds us. When we forget to give thanks. He still gives us restful sleep. When we idle in sin. He doesn't take the Holy Spirit from us. We sin with the Holy Spirit firmly intact in here. That's why we don't sin easy. When we refuse to give. (laughs) When we refuse to give. He keeps on giving still. I've had people ask me, Pastor Tom, like, will God work against me financially if I don't give? I said, oh, I don't know. I don't think so. That's not God's heart. He's not like that. He loves you. He's going to give to you. But doesn't that make you all the more want to give and support His kingdom? Give to a God who would give to you even if you never gave Him a thing. When we disappoint ourselves and others, God still calls us his children. In fact, God even blesses us when we don't believe in him. A popular atheist believer, a a popular atheist leader, uh, by the name of Christopher Hitchens, he wrote a book that was called God is Not Great, How Religion Poisons Everything. And he sold a lot of of copies. Uh, The book is clever, it's witty, it's widely read. He has a lot of quick comebacks. And he's committed to debunking religion of every type. And even more committed to the concept that worshiping God is naive. Worshiping God. He's acted this way for years. Trying to make everyone who believes in God or believes in Jesus to make them feel foolish and stupid. (coughs) And you can literally say he's made a career out of it. But instead of crushing him like an empty eggshell, the Lord still feeds him and nourishes him, gives him health and love and so far a long life. You see, God is not intimidated by Mr. Hitchens. In fact, God is simply more ready to forgive Mr. Hitchens than Mr. Hitchens is ready to be forgiven. Amen. Number three. Thank God for this one. God keeps no record of wrongs. <clears throat> I apologize. I didn't read the verse uh, from verse 2, uh, point 2. But it was there. I'm sure you read it. Point 3, we will read it. I think this is awesome. No, it's fine. All of you can read, right? If you can't read, come after the sermon and I'll read it for you. I think you can all read. <laughs> uh, let's read here verses 11 and 12. This is cool for as high as the heavens are above the earth so great is his love for those who fear him as far as the east is from the west so far has he removed our transgressions from us Amen to that Astronomers will tell us that the farthest known light source that we can document is 10 billion light years away And it's most likely something called a quasar. I have no clue what that is. If you do, you can tell me after the message. But it would take, that light has, takes 10, it would take 10 billion years traveling at the speed of light to arrive at the earth. I think God created the light already there, but we can go into creation in another another time. But I do want to show the vastness of this. By contrast, our nearest star, the next our sun is a star, right? The next sun is only four light years away. Only four light years away. And uh, remember, light travels at 183,000 miles per second. 183,000 miles per second. It takes the light from the sun eight minutes to reach Earth. So it, it's, it, that's fast, all right? Scientists are working on, they have, they've just come up with designs and they're gonna begin to employ, they're gonna build it in outer space actually, a nuclear ion fusion rocket, which means it would go, it would roughly go for the length of the nuclear fuel, which is about 25,000 years, okay? So for 25,000 years, this rocket would have fuel. Here's the problem. At our current technology to reach our closest star, it would take 81,000 years for any of the technology we possess to be able to get to the next star. I mean, we, we you, you just, it's, it's an impossibility at this point. I mean, really, it really is when you think about it. What this psalm is saying is this. God's love is greater, larger, deeper, longer, broader, and bigger in all dimensions than the universe itself. When you have ran as far from God as you can go, look up because God's love is still going and it's ahead of you. You will never reach the end of it. That's what, that's what David's really trying to say. You will never reach, never, ever, ever. Even if you could hit that quasar, God's love is still further still. Now, let's suppose you want to go east. East, right? East. I'm a little turned around. East. Okay, thank you. East, so that if you go east enough, you'll finally hit west. Right? So you take off from New York City, and then you go to London, and then to Moscow, and then to Beijing, and then to Honolulu, and then after you've been to all those great cities, you want to go to an even better city, and you stop off at Bakersfield, right? And you... (laughs) And then maybe you go to uh, Denver, right? That's a good one. What? What's what's more east of Denver? And then you go to Nashville, Chicago. Who said Chicago? <laughs> no, I'm sorry. <sad>. Chicago's great. <laughs> I've been there. Uh, Detroit. None of you are. <laughs> Detroit. I'd rather go to Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> and and he, here's here's really the point. That David's trying to make is, you know, no matter no matter how far east you go, you'll never find west. East and west never meet. That means the sins of your past will never be used against you again, once God has forgiven you of them. The farther east you go, the further away you are from west. When God forgives, he removes our sin, he lifts them up, he takes them away, he puts them so far away that we could never find them even if we searched for 10 billion light years. They're gone forever. Even Satan can't bring them back. Unless you let them. Well, don't let them. Don't let them. He's only bringing them back because He's trying to trick you into thinking they can come back. They can't come back. If they're under the blood of Jesus, they're gone. That quasar is far away. It's gone. The sin is so far removed from you. It might as well be on the other side of the universe. Amen? And then finally, number four, remember He understands our weakness. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Psalm 103:13. Don't worry, we got more in Psalm 103 to go. We're just stopping here for today. I never understood this verse until I had children. Like most children, when they were younger, they weren't comfortable with the dark, right? So I would come in and I'd sing to them. I'd hold them. A lot of times I'd just kind of walk around the room with them in my arms. They'd fall asleep. Sometimes they'd call me in and I'd just kind of wait there at the foot of their bed. 20 seconds later, you know, they'd be out. Here's a question. Do you think I looked down on my children because they were afraid? No. In fact, I kind of got into it. I kind of liked being the, I am not afraid of the dark, you know, parent going in there. Don't worry. I will rescue you from nothing. (laughs) Right? (laughs) But still, they think it's something. No, and you know what? I didn't look down on them, and God doesn't look down on you either. We all have weaknesses. Struggling with fear and lust and pride. God understands. I'm not saying he gives us license to sin. I'm saying he understands when we fail. He knows the difference between the sins of weakness and the sins of rebellion. You know, when we stumble in weakness, whether it's a pride or a lust or particularly a fear, we all have those weird fears. Then you got that verse come to you, but God did not give me a spirit of fear. I know I shouldn't be afraid, but God, I am. That says, I understand. I'm going to move you out of this, but I don't look down on you because you're in it. Let me come in and bring you out of the dark and into the light. To close, I have a story from one of the bloggers. I read lots of Christian blogs, lots of pastors' blogs. It's become kind of my With technology, it's become a real part of my thing. And and one one of the stories I wrote, I thought, illustrated this passage the best. It's a story by a pastor called Pastor Pritchard. I think his first name is either Ray or Rich or something like that. He's one of the main bloggers I read. And he said, you know, when our son Mark was a young child, Pastor Ray Pritchard, I have it written here. When our son Mark was a young child, he developed an ear infection. That would not go away. So after trying antibiotics for a time, our family physician said, I've done all I can do. He's going to need to go see a specialist. So he referred us to the specialist, the highly respected one in Dallas, Texas. And after the specialist examined him carefully, he announced in front of us and in front of our son Mark that he was going to have to have tubes Put in his ears. Has anybody ever had that happen? They have tubes. Ooh, a lot of you have. Okay, yeah. This is a bit common, huh? He had to have tubes put in his ears to prevent further scarring from the ear infection. Now, even though the operation is fairly quick and fairly simple, he saw the look of horror on little Mark's eyes. And the specialist could definitely see that the boy was... Terrified to have tubes put in his ears with no explanation of what that process might have been. And so as he took the parents out to the waiting room and he could see the boy there kind of clutching his parents' ha- hands, not wanting to be released to the hands of this person who was going to injure him, so he thought, the doctor started smiling and laughing and he bent down and he said, Mark, Have you ever gone for a piggyback ride? Mark said, oh, I love piggyback rides. He goes, you ever get one from a doctor before? He goes, no, I've never gotten one from a doctor before. He goes, doctors give the best piggyback rides. They do? He goes, climb on and let's see. And in that waiting room, he let that boy climb onto his back. And he's running around with this boy on his back. He's got other patients, other clients respectable folk and he's running around his lobby with this boy on his back and the boy is laughing and he looks back he says mark are you ready you ready to do this you ready to go get your ears fixed because you see that's what jesus does for us and the moments when we need him to like that doctor he puts us on his back and he starts running around with us the hardest part is you don't know when I know we can't see him I know we can't always feel it I can tell you right now one day you're going to watch a videotape you're going to realize the pitfalls you never fell into you're going to realize all the incredible ways God did save you and when you look at that tape you'll see one thing and you'll see one thing very clear you were on his back and he was carrying you through the whole time. The great physician knows our weakness and he understands our fears. And when we can't go on, he carries us on his back. Bow your heads, let's pray. Worship team, come on forward. Before we close this morning, I'd like to give just a very simple invitation. And the first one is this. If you've never... you've never accepted Christ, truly accepted Him into your heart, you've probably never experienced being on His back, having Him carry you through things. I can tell you this he is so real sometimes I think he's more real than the things I can see and touch Jesus is real he really died and he really died for you he offers himself to you but you gotta drop what's in your hands and reach out and take it Jesus forces himself on no one and he'll let you go your whole life without him if that's what you want But why would you want that? He is the best friend you'll ever have. And so, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, would you like to receive Jesus? Be filled with His Spirit. Have your sins forgiven. And know that you're going to go to heaven in eternal life. everybody with their heads bowed and their eyes closed, if that's you this morning, go ahead and raise your hand and look up at me so I can acknowledge you and pray for you. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, in fact, let's pray this together. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for saving me. I admit I need you and I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I confess my sins to you and I make you my Lord and my Savior, Jesus Christ. And I receive unto myself the Holy Spirit that I may be sanctified by your truth, guided by your wisdom.